Test Podcast featuring David Nagan. Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined by another David, possibly the best David in the chess world. Uh, David Lada, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I was trying to think how many Davids I know in the chess world to, to see how big is the compliment. <laughs> well, there's David Howell. I mean, he's pretty good too. Yeah. It's a big name. Yeah, pretty big name. Um, okay. Yeah, um, so you're right now you're in Gibraltar, right? Yes, I'm here for the FIDE Women Grand Prix, a very interesting tournament, um, beautiful location. We used to come here every year in January for the big chess open and chess festival that they, they normally host. It wasn't possible this year, mm-hmm. but as an alternative, they come up with the idea of organizing the, the Women Grand Prix which is also a very fine tournament, but much, much smaller and easier to handle. Yeah. Now, how many, how many uh, people are playing in this tournament? It is 12 players. <clears throat> it is the, the fourth and last leg of the, of the FIDE Grand Prix. So two spots for the women candidates will be decided on this tournament. Oh, wow. And uh, are there any... Are there any uh, I, do you know who's leading the tournament right now? Yeah, well, we are still halfway. It is a bit early to, to oh, see right, of course. what is going to happen. Um, but Anna, Anna Musichuk uh, is one of my favorites for this event. I think she's in, in good shape. Yeah, she's one of my favorites too. Um, yeah, so, you know, you are a chess photographer. Um, first of all, I'm wondering, like, um, were you originally uh, like a tournament chess player? Uh, and then I guess, how did you transition into like, like actually like doing photography for tournaments? Well, I was not, I was never much of a chess player myself. I, I was born and grew up in a very small place. There was not a chess club, chess school, chess teacher, or any chess culture. All I found was a chess book in the, in the library. That's all. Um, so I kind of became the, the first chess teacher myself and I founded a chess club and I, I was trying to um, I got very enthusiastic about chess when I first learned the game and I tried to share this enthusiasm with everybody and yeah we could say that for the first five years I was a chess teacher I was teaching chess then in, in other schools in, in, in a larger city and then I was a chess journalist for a few years as well and then I quit completely. I, I took up a, a different job and I, I started my own business and I was away from, from chess for a few years. But at some point, I, I decided to visit a few tournaments and I took a photo camera with me and I was taking photos and I realized that um, good photos were very much needed in, in chess tournaments. We didn't have good uh, quality visual materials. And little by little, I, I got serious into it. So I was offered to, to travel to tournaments and they, they want to hire me as photographer. So um, it became a very serious hobby or kind of a side job. Yeah, wow. Um, and you know, I, I, had a, I had a friend in, in college. Uh, he, did, um, he did sports photography. And uh, he, he always told me that um, the, the hard part about like sports photography is really trying to capture the motion. And, you know, even, even though I, I consider chess to be a sport, you know, people are, are more or less like, you know, sitting down 
uh, and, and thinking. So, but, and yet I, I find that you, you get these like really like, um, very intense portraits of players sometimes. Like I was looking at, look, looking at your work, like on, I got my tours videos and stuff. You, you get really, these really powerful photographs of, of chess players. What is your approach when you're like looking for pictures? Are you like looking for specific players that like, you know, always have like a kind of intense look on their face or an interesting look, or are you just like trying to find the moments? Like what's kind of your philosophy for taking, taking these images and telling these stories? Well, you know, you, you were talking about photographing other sports and I often joke that the easiest part of my work as photographer is that the, the people I photograph, they don't move. But also the most difficult part of my photography work is that the people I photograph, they don't move. So you need to find some little things to make the photos interesting. You only have two, two guys sitting one in front of another. They don't move for most of the game. And you need to pay attention to the little details, to the, the micro expressions in, in their faces and their, their hands, the body language, and, and the little psychological details. As you said, I, I try to capture this tension during a chess game. I, I don't take many photos during, a, during, during the round. I'm just moving around, walking, waiting for something to happen. And usually if you wait for long enough, uh, something will happen. Some little gesture, some, some intense moment that you can capture. Also, I, I like to keep some distance from the players. First, I, I let them get used to me. I, I want that they, they get used to my presence and they forget that I'm there. I'm not a distraction, even if I get closer or, or I move around. And then I always shoot from, from a distance with a telephoto lens, so I don't need to get really very close to, to actually see their faces from, from up close, because I use these kind of telephotos that you will normally use in a, um, I don't know, in a um, football field or in a safari, you know, a long telephoto lens that weighs like two kilos. It's killing my, my back. But I, I like the result. I like getting very close to their faces. Right, without, without like interfering with their thinking or anything. Yeah, sadly. And I don't pay much attention to the position. You know, I, I look at the position and when I see that the, the game is interesting, I, I focus on, on the players playing that game, but not on the, on the chessboard, not on the pieces. Yeah, it's it's true. Like I, you see a lot of like the the chess photos of, of players. They don't really account for like the the position. It's really like it's like the the face in the moment. Um, you you mentioned that you know you want the players to get used to you. Um, I I I assume you've done like a, like you've done the like Grand Prix events for many years, not just for the women, but also for the men. So, um, would you say you have some like decent relationships with some of the players at the highest level? Because I'm sure you must have just seen them for so long. Yeah, well, first I was a journalist between 1999 and 2004, more or less. So I got to hang out with many of the top players. It was Karpov back then, Karpov, uh, Kasparov, uh, Anand, uh, all, all this group of uh, great players. I, I got to spend a lot of time with them. With Karpov, I was mentioning Karpov in the first place because with Karpov, I, I have a um, very special relationship with because I wrote a biography on him that allowed me to, to become very close to him. I know everything about his life and we, we have some kind of a friendship. 
Mm, then I was away from, from chess for a while. And when I got interested again around 2012, 2013, mm, most of these players have changed. But um, yeah, I also, I also got close with the new generation, you, you, you could call it. And when you travel a lot with the, the same people over and over again, you, you always make some very strong friendships. So yeah, I, I, I'm friends with most of the chess players, most of them. Some of them are not very social. Some of them, they socialize a lot. But um, at the end of the day, we share a lot of time in hotels, traveling, airports. So yeah, we know we know each other pretty well. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's also. I mean, I think you get to know them. I was I, like, I was listening to, I think it was Hikaru. Like last year, was explaining that you know at the at the highest level, you're basically you're just seeing the same people again and again. Like you you really get to know like their playing styles and stuff. So. Um, I, I think it's interesting that like you, you, you kind of are also like one of these familiar faces, probably that like everybody knows it's going to be you or like Leonard or Nikki who are going to be taking, taking uh, photos for their events. And uh, I'm sure that that must be pretty nice to have that kind of stability, like at the tournament to know it's like, okay, you know, we, we got our photographer ready to go. Make sure we look, we look good. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the chess players have a very particular lifestyle. You know, always traveling to different places, staying for like two weeks and then moving on to, to the next event. Well, it used to be like that, at least. A lot of things have changed lately and now they play mostly online. Do you miss, uh, do you miss over the board tournaments? I'm sure you probably Well, do. I, I do. I definitely do. As a chess fan and as a, as a photographer, but also uh, as a chess fan. And and have you been have you been following uh, like the online tournaments at all or, or you know are you is it more like uh, you know you're not taking photos so you're not really on the job? Not that much, you know. There there is too much activity, uh, and well, I I got a job. I cannot follow everything that's going on in the in the chess world. Right. When you have one tournament after another, non-stop. I think it is a bit too much, to be honest. <clears throat> there is too much activity and it is a bit too much of always the same players playing each other over and over again but now non-stop so i'm not really following all these tournaments. some of them are very interesting of course and um, you get to see some exciting chess but it is difficult to follow yeah i think you actually have a good point Ike, because it always it always seems like you're going to get in any of these like champions chess tour you're always going to get like some Magnus Hikaru matchup somewhere. And, you know, it's like the same, like you have a tournament of 10 people or 16 people, but it's always going to end up being like seven of the eight in the qualifier, the same people. So yeah, I, I definitely do see where you're coming from. Um, now you see, you're currently working for FIDE as a chief marketing and communications officer. How, uh, how recently did you, uh, did you start working for FIDE and what's that been like? Well, it was two years ago. And it was um, it was quite a journey so far, I have to say. I think FIDE needed to be almost rebuilt from scratch. The whole team was renewed after the, the elections in, in Batum in 2018. I think um, the new president, Arkady Durkovic, uh, put together a very, a very good team. 
we we have so many opportunities right now and and so many things to do that we are working 24 7. <laughs> uh, i haven't taken any holidays in the last two years and most of the team wow. in fide because they are very passionate about what they do they haven't taken any holidays we we just want to improve things we are putting a lot of effort in improving all the all the departments within fide events, media, marketing, dealing with the sponsors, also working with the federations that is supposed to be our core mission. The FIDE is a group of federations, of international, of national federations that are working together under, under FIDE. <clears throat> and yeah, the, the scope of work is, is just massive. But we are enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I so did you you started working for them after the World Chess Championship match against like Carlson Caruana? Was that or um, yeah, at, the, at that point, it was sadly during the London match that I I approached Fide and I told them that I would like to join the team. It was right uh, then um, in London, yeah. I I had some commitments to travel to some tournaments as photographer, so I only joined the team officially in March, April 2019. But well, I I was from the beginning I was already exchanging ideas with them and, and making plans, you know. This is something very vocational. So we all, as I said before, we all put a lot of illusion and work into, into this. So even before I officially joined the team, I was already trying to to help and, and be useful. So you know, as someone who's doing marketing um, now for FIDE, uh, certainly I'm sure you've paid attention to this big chess boom, this online chess boom with Queen's Gambit and you know Hikaru on Twitch. Um, has that kind of affected like your your job as a marketer suddenly? Well, um, definitely. Normally, I can tell you. Uh, not only I work in marketing, but also with media. Normally, I was reserving um, one day or at least five, six hours per week to chase journalists, to approach journalists, to tell them about chess, to propose them some ideas, to pitch uh, an article about chess to, to them. And after the Queen's Gambit, I remember the Queen's Gambit was premiered on Friday, that Monday, the next Monday, three days later, I checked my email and it had like 10, 15 emails from journalists. And I, I saw that something big was coming, you know, when you start your day with 15 journalists knocking your door. And then it continued like that for two full months, you know, wow. journalists chase, chasing me. Uh, I had to allocate three, four hours per, per day to talk to journalists who knew nothing about chess. But they got interested or they wanted to know who was the national champion in France or wherever, you know, in, in many countries. They, that was the most common request. Uh, some journalists from some newspaper with no chess tradition uh, approaching Fide asking who is the best uh, women player in, in my country and asking some basic information about chess and, and all that. So, yeah, it was very exciting because you saw, okay, this is going to be a game changer. This is a, an opportunity and we have to make the most of it and, and try to promote chess for as long as this trend uh, lasts. And it was very exciting. October and November, it was a lot of work, but it was very exciting. Um, I think many doors and many opportunities 
open as a, as a result of that. But it was not only the, the Queen's Gambit. Uh, we can say that the trend began, chess was already on the rise. Even before all the pandemic and, and yeah. all the Twitch fever, chess was already on the rise. Something interesting is that with the pandemic, um, of course, the people who already played chess, they were playing more often, more than ever before. People played chess in the past, uh, but then quit at some point. They came back to the game. That was very important. The, the, the amount of people that we regained, so to speak. And then a considerable amount of people learned the game during, during the last year. I think this is important. This is not really a massive number, probably, of people who learned the basics of the game, but a considerable number of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I remember when Carlson Caruana was happening, how I've talked about this on the podcast before, how there wasn't really such a like a craze in America that we had like an Amer American who could potentially become like the world chess champion. Um, but what I did remember was, you know, when I was in, I was in college and I remember watching on Twitch and at some point, like the stream, the commentary stream reached something like, I think 50 or 60,000 viewers. And this was way before the boom. Uh, and you know, I, I just, and I, I just remembered like seeing that I was like, there's no way like there's 60,000 people watching this on Twitch. Like when they could be watching, like, you know, XQC or, or some, you know, some, some Overwatch stream or, or whatever was like popular at the time. I don't even remember. Um, but I, I think you're, you're right that because a lot of people like say that this boom came out of nowhere and I really don't feel like that was the case. I do think that there was like a build that was already starting well before the pandemic. And uh, yeah, and I'm glad you agree with me. Yeah, definitely. I think um, chess was there. Uh, Twitch is perfect for chess. It is a very good combination. Uh, Chess.com, they were very clever. They saw it coming. They, they, they have been investing on, on Twitch from the very beginning. They became partners of Twitch very, very early on. Um, I also like very much the, the format of uh, short YouTube videos, like the ones produced by Agatmator or Daniel King or many others, where you can just go through some gaming 12, 15 minutes. I think that is the perfect format. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm very busy, I work a lot, but at the end of the day, maybe I cannot watch a movie or a series, but I can spend 15 minutes or half an hour watching a couple of games, and, and it is very pleasant, you know? I take my, my tablet, I go to bed, and I watch a couple of chess games, explain, without having to go through, um, through all the variants. No, nothing very demanding, something... That is something that I find relaxing, you know? Yeah, I know for sure. And if you, yeah. No, do you, do you um? So you watch Agamotto videos? Yes, of course. I think I have yes. watched probably most of them. <laughs> yeah, me too. And you know, it's it's funny because I actually I was I I got familiar with your work through his channel, and uh -huh. uh, I think he he does I think he does a really great job of of really like giving credit to to you or Leonard or or Nikki or whoever the photos come from or if it's like Branky Chess and they have their own stuff. I know he always does a great job and that's actually how I was familiar with, with you. And I remember like 
um like when i started this podcast i was like i, well, I should really try to get like like david or nikki or, or someone like because this is something that, that really interests me because i myself have, have started to like get into that just simple photography but like it's something i started like like reading about and something i, I definitely want to be better at so you know I, I i find it uh really cool uh that you also i mean so like when you watch his videos and uh do you, do you find it cool that it's like the images that you took at a tournament or like you know front and center like 15 minutes after you you know yeah i i like to see my my pictures here and there but i'm i'm used to it um i generally enjoy the videos and i like antonio very much he's a very nice guy i i met him a couple of times i i met him the last time it was already quite some time ago a couple of years ago maybe in belgrade we had a beer it was nice and he loves what he does. I mean, he wouldn't do anything else in the world. He loves doing these videos and going through games, and he's very passionate about about chess. And I I like people like that. Yeah, I mean, I, and he got me into chess because I only started playing three years ago, and it was after like a year of watching his videos. And I I just you know I just love the enthusiasm, and it is like you you think about YouTube channels like for other games, and there's like all these ads and like. Uh, uh, I don't know, like all, all I don't know. It's all sorts of like editing that is just like over the top, and and with him is just like this. This has been the same thing basically for three years. It's consistent, like great work every time. You know exactly what we're gonna get. Like I can't, I can't say any, enough great things. Like I, I'm my my whole like chess career, brief as it is, um, and you know as uh, weak as it is so far. Um, so, um, but I I completely have to give him credit for like all of it. Uh, for forget for the, that enthusiasm. And uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I I think chess people tend to do things a bit more complicated in general than they should. The the tournaments format sometimes and the regulations for the competitions and everything, even the chess analysis in books and magazines, they tend to do things even more complicated than than it should. And sometimes the the simple things work much better. You you have a nice game. You you add some narrative to the game. You show the basic variations, but you don't go that in depth. And you have a very enjoyable product. And that is what the people like uh, Agatmator and, and others do. And I enjoy that very much. Yeah, I I know I completely agree. And I, I'm wondering, like, is there a, is there like a favorite series of Agatmator that you uh, or or um. Is there a favorite series or, or like video of his that, that you like? Because I, I remember mine. Yeah. I remember. Uh, yeah, well, I'm a big fan of his uh, Capablanca series. Yeah. And if I, have, if I have to recommend something to some beginner or intermediate level, it will be that, that one. I think it is like 80 games or 85 games uh, by Capablanca. Um, uh, yeah, that is the one that I remember. I enjoyed the most. You said you have a uh, a very close relationship with Anatoly Karpov, and he's uh, he's actually one of my favorite players. Um, I've, I've looked at a lot of his games. Um, I'm wondering, like, uh, if you could talk a bit more about like how you. Um, I think you said you were writing his biography. So, like, how how did that um, meeting start, and like, what is their friendship like in like recent years? Well, back then he was visiting Spain very often, you know, 
he had an agent in Spain and Spain was a very active country organizing especially open tournaments and simuls and, and many things and he, he has always been very popular in Spain because of the 1987 world championship match between Kasparov and, and Karpov in, in Seville he lost in the last game I think because of that he became even more popular than Kasparov you know he he lost the match in a very dramatic way and people liked him. Uh, sometimes you, you, particularly in this country, in Spain, people like the underdog, I think. And people like the, the one who, who lose in a dramatic fight as much as they like the, the winner. So he was coming to Spain very often and I got commissioned to, to write this uh, short biography about him. They asked me to do it during a couple of months during the summer two or three months, I, I wasn't giving more, more time to, to do it. Then I learned watching the news that they had the plan to apply for a Guinness record with this book that Karpov will sign uh, a couple of thousand of copies of this book to get the Guinness record. I didn't know. I, I only found out when I was halfway with my work, but it was very, very exciting. And the, the book was presented in Mexico City in September 2000. And there was this massive long line of people waiting to get his signature on, on the book. I remember I, they, they took me for a walking um, helicopter. I was overflowing the, the Zocalo Square in, in Mexico, one of the biggest squares in the world. You could see the line of people wait to get the, the signature on their copy of the book. And it was something really very nice. I remember at the end of the day, the, the judge of uh, Guinness World Records came to me and he said that there was a little problem with the record because the previous holder signed copies of an autobiography. And in this case, I wrote the book and Karpov signed the book. So he told me that he could not award the, the Guinness record to Karpov alone. It should, it should be with my name on the record as well. So somehow, and very unexpectedly, I ended up in the World Guinness record Wow. With Karpov. I, I think it's something that only Kasparov and I can say, probably. <laughs> so you can imagine it was all, it was my, my first book, taking photos from an helicopter, um, spending this very nice time with Karpov there in, in Mexico. I remember we went to the pyramids and, and everything. We, we, we drank together. We, he was dancing corridos with, um, with my wife-to-be. <laughs> it was a very, a very nice moment. And yeah, now I, I have a nice story to, to impress the visits. You know, I can tell them that I am in the, in the World Guinness Record with, with Karpov. Wow. Do you know if you're still in the, in the book or do you think somebody maybe took, overtook you guys yet? No, uh, Katy Perry took it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she took the record from us, I think, five years later. Yeah, wow. I mean, even still. <laughs> Yeah, that's still not, not not too bad all things considered um yeah i mean i also like you know uh i know i said i, I would keep this episode pretty pretty short but i do have uh, like two more questions um first of all i i remember you wrote a book called the thinkers i think which is just like a, a collection of your photos yeah that was my third book I don't think if i can say that i wrote it i published it <laughs> but there is not much writing i mean there are couple of chapters where I explain a few things about chess 
and photography and how I explain more or less my vision about chess. Uh-huh. But it is mostly a photography book, very few, very few pages of text and, and some beautiful photographer photo, uh, photos. Some of them full page, most of them are full page or double spread. Um, it is what you call a coffee table book, the kind of book that you have lying on the table, so you pick on it once in a while. And I'm very proud of that book. I think it is one of the most beautiful books ever published on, on chess from the aesthetical point of view. Um, there are not many precedents of uh, a book like this. There are a few photography books, but not that many. I, I got them all, I think. And um, I think it was something needed. It is a good tool to promote chess and to enchant uh, an audience that don't really play chess, but is curious about chess. And photos are beautiful. At the end of the day, appearance matters. Yeah. And when you present people with a captivating photo, they, they get interested into, into it. Actually, that was my case. I, I tell this story in the book, in The Thinkers. Uh, I got interested myself in chess when I first uh, saw a photo of uh, Kasparov and Karpov playing in one of the world championships, I don't remember if it was, probably it was Moscow, Moscow 1985. But I remember that I saw a photo in the newspaper and I got very intrigued because um, two grown up men playing this board game in this uh, atmosphere, very solemn and very, uh, it felt like, okay, these guys are doing something important. And, you know, it is not just any game. This is something important. And I got very curious about chess. And it was because of a uh, photo. Uh, photos can be powerful. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you currently working on a book right now? Well, the thinkers got uh, sold out uh, right. in the weeks uh, after the Queen's Gambit. It was also before the Christmas season, and many people buy this kind of book as a present to, to some to some friend to, who plays chess. Uh, it has been just reprinted. Uh, it will be available again on Amazon and everywhere in like one week. It just came out of the of the print, and there will be a second volume of the Thinkers coming out in 2022. Uh-huh. It is already agreed with the publisher and everything. There will also be some photo exhibitions finally because my plan first was to do photo exhibitions alongside uh, some top tournaments, and then the book. It was the other way around. First we made the book, now we will do the photo exhibitions. And yeah, for now that's it. I, I don't have time to actually writing a book, but I have plenty of photos and a second volume is coming. Uh, this time it will be called The Thinkers or The Thinkers 2 as well, but it will be, it will, it will have a different angle, more or less. I want to include more female players this time. I have two daughters and I think role models are very important. I, I see that they get more interested in chess when they see photos of other girls playing chess. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that. So I want to, to have mostly female players in the book a female, a woman just playing in, on the cover of the book. And I also want to capture this time the social aspects of chess. Um, Fide is doing a very good job now promoting this line of work, I think. We just organized an, an event about uh, chess in prisons, chess for freedom, it, it was called. 
I'm planning to go to um, some jail in, in Chicago in, in October and take some photos of the inmates who, who played chess. We got some testimonies and, and experiences and they describe it as almost life-changing for them to, to get to know players, uh, to get to know how to play chess and, and get involved in chess activities. And I, I also like to go to some refugee camps where different people have been trying to introduce chess in, in Jordan, Kenya, and quite a few other places. We have a, a long list and we are starting to cooperate with, uh, with these people and, and non-profit organizations. And I, I would like to, to visit this and portrait this uh, set of chests. Also, there is this guy, probably you know him, Tunde, in a year. Yeah, Tunde, He's yeah. running this chess in Islam program. And I am definitely going there. I want to take photos of uh, what he's doing there. It yeah. is some amazing story that I am I'm truly fascinated. With. And I, I think it has to be, well, he's doing a very good job telling this story by, by himself. And he has somebody around taking very nice photos, I can tell you. But I, I want to, to go there and see it myself. No, of course. I mean, I think that's that's one of the beautiful things about your job. I mean, yeah, you've, I'm sure you've, you've probably been to every continent except Antarctica at this point. Probably, right? <laughs> well, I have been to 60 countries. Wow. Which is not bad considering that I didn't leave Spain until I was 20. You know, my, my first trip abroad, I was already 21, actually. Wow. So, yeah, the last 20 years in my life have been quite busy. And also have been to some of them, I have been like... To, to China, Mexico, and a few others. I have been more than 10 or 15 times. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I had a busy period traveling. And, uh, yeah, and actually, this is a nice segue to my, to my final question. Because, uh, well, typically on, on the show, um, I, I, the last question I'll ask my guests is, you know, like, like what's their, like, favorite opening or opening that they would, like, teach to everybody? Um, although I think you were saying that you don't really, you don't consider yourself much of a chess player. Um, so actually what I want to ask you is, you know, you've, you've, you've gone to probably hundreds of tournaments to do photography work. Um, and you know, hopefully many, many more now that things are opening up again. Um, I'm wondering if there's one tournament that you remember, especially as as something that was a lot of fun or something that, that where the stakes are really high for a player or, um, just, just, just say what's like one of your most memorable tournaments. Look, I'm going to answer both questions, the one about the opening and the one about the tournament, awesome. Great. if that's okay. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, please, please. When I was, when I was teaching chess, I, I got very fond of the French defense. I will tell you why. I think it is a very instructive opening where you can teach uh, about the good and bad bishop, uh, about the, um, the advantage in one flank, and how to deal with that. You, you attack in one flank, the other player has to counterattack in the center or in the other flank. I, I, I think there is a lot of um, strategic content in the French opening. I, I played the, the French opening for a while. Um, it is difficult to play, to play defense, defense with black, I have to say. Yeah. It is difficult to defend it, but I found it 
very instructive. I, uh, I think when you are teaching chess, you need to give your students material that is instructive about anything else. And that is one that I, I always use as a, as a reference. And then my favorite tournament, well, uh, definitely the Chess Olympiad. I think the Chess Olympiad is the reason why I didn't walk away from chess completely because when I was, you know, when I stopped working in chess as a journalist and teacher and all that, and I was doing my own business, I will still visit the Olympiads every two years. Because when you go to an Olympiad, you make a lot of friends from all over the world. And the only chance to get to see them mostly is just to go to the next Olympiad. There is no other way to keep in touch with uh, so many people from so many different places. And it is not every day that you have the chance to be under the same roof with people from every country in the world. Yeah. I mean, when you live in New York or you live in London, maybe that is not that impressive. But for most people, this is quite something, you know. And for a photographer, especially, this is quite something. When I tell other photographers that I have portrayed people from every country in the world, they, they don't believe it. They, they look at me with admiration, you know, without. Uh, it is something that every, every portrait photographer will dream of, taking photos of people from, from everywhere in the planet. And the atmosphere is just fantastic. You have thousands of people from audition, but it is something more than a competition. It is a big festival and I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I would love to go to the Chess Olympiad um, and, and I hope I do. Because, um, I mean, the, the, the only one I really followed was the one in 2018. I then, obviously, last year, I don't think we had, uh, had an Olympiad, but I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, that we'll have one soon. You know in person people playing over the board because I, I agree with you i think that is it's really special chess is a sport that is truly international like more so than than almost any other sport except you know maybe soccer um or football as you guys call it um as i have started to call it actually um but yeah i mean i i think i think that's something that that really is like it's like it's like it really like shows like the best of, of what chess can be as this thing that can really unite people from all over the world. And so I think it's really, really cool that you're, you're always there and, and uh, you know, making these really nice portraits of, of players, you know, doing their, their jobs. And uh, yeah. I will encourage any, any chess fan to visit a chess Olympiad at least once in their life. And I will change something that much as well. It is, it is always interesting to see legendary players competing in, in a match. But the, the Chess Olympiad is, it, it is like the chess festival for excellence. And I think everybody should visit it at least once in life. Yeah, I mean, and I'm trying to go to the match in Dubai um, this, uh, this November. So I'll see if that works. Um, I'll be in Denmark uh, for, for most of the year. So it should be a bit easier to fly than from New York. But, uh, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I really would love to go to a World Chess Championship match. Um, they actually, Magnus played it against Karyakin in New York, which is where I was living when I was like 17. But um, yeah, I wasn't a chess fan back then. And actually, I didn't even know that it was happening. In fact, it was uh, obviously a big deal, but there was really no press about it at all um, locally, which is unfortunate because maybe I would have started playing chess a bit earlier. Um, but yeah, um, 
that's that's all for this week. I want to thank uh, my guest David Lada for coming on the show. Thank you for listening to Six Four Chess Podcast, and I will uh, I'll see you in two weeks. Uh, thank you. <laughs>